Wow, exactly 12 o'clock. Good afternoon, church. Thank Pastor Peter for this invitation and uh, the opportunity to, to... I will classify this time is, uh, to meditate upon God's Word uh, together in this very short 45 minutes. And the title, the topic given to me is uh, Holy Spirit and the Journey. Um, so we're going to do this. You need to get ready your Bible. We need to really go through uh, some passages as we uh, do our reflection uh, based on those, uh, uh, based on those uh, passages uh, on the issue concerning the role of the Holy Spirit uh, and also what kind of journey we are talking about here. Should we begin with the prayer? Father, it is always a privilege to come before you as a family to listen to your word and also to learn to live a life that is worthy of your calling. So grant us the wisdom and the spirit of obedience as we meditate upon your words together, study your words together, and also to share with one another our learning based on your word. Bless our time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, I think all of you should have your note with you, and uh, I will want to begin my introduction, which is a very important, uh, the, the anchoring point of my uh, sharing or my talk today. That is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Pentecost. I think most of us are familiar. Uh, anyone not familiar when I mention Pentecost, uh, the Pentecostal outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Anyone here not familiar with that phrase? meaning you are all not new Christians, huh? which is recorded in Acts chapter 2. But what may not be familiar to you is I'm going to link this with Genesis chapter 11. So we need to start with chapters, uh, Genesis chapter 11. And my first point is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Pentecost is actually the U-turn of uh, Babel the event of Babel. I'm going to share with you my understanding. So, to begin with, let's turn to Genesis chapter 11 and see what happened uh, at Shinar, the place, and uh, what is that going to do with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, recorded in Acts chapter 2. Now, in Genesis chapter 11, um, let's begin with this reading. Uh, I think the wording... Okay, good, that's fine. Yep. So we're going to begin with uh, Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech at that time. So those were the days. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shema and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them uh, thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heaven so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Let's stop here. Now, based on this narrative, if you compare this, what happened at Babel and Oshina and at Jerusalem on Pentecost, you realize what your weakness in this chapter, which theologically this is a very important chapter because it explains 
the beginning of human civilizations, that's how you have many different languages, cultures, and all that, uh, that you can point to uh, this event. But more than a, an account of human civilizations, you can find it in this passage. What God was doing on the Pentecost is a U-turn to what humankind was doing at Shina. If you compare the two accounts, uh, Genesis chapter 11, what you see, the first, and there's a blank for you to fill in, right? That what kind of U-turn we are witnessing here? First, from Genesis chapter 11, what you witness is a human pride. Why do I call it a human pride? Because the agenda at that time was the people there, they wanted to build a tower that reaches to the heavens. Now, if there's one concrete word to describe what is human sinfulness or what is the problem, is this concept that we can, through our own means, reach the heavens. In a Chinese saying, meaning that if you're steady enough, you'll win, you will conquer the heavens. Uh, but here, in the Chinese saying, we say, means if you, we are competent enough to reach the heavens with our own means, with our own hands. And I classify that as pride. But if you compare that with what happened with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, uh, I will use a word to godliness. You find that that group of people, now I assume you, you're already familiar with Acts 2, so I'm not going to go into the details. Now the disciples of the 3,000 who responded to Peter's sermon, they are ordinary, ordinary people. And yet, I believe all of us, even we are ordinary people, sometimes we still have ambition, right? And yet what happened when they were touched by the Holy Spirit and then they, they were brought together the Bible describes they devoted themselves to the, disciple, the, the apostles' teaching. And they pray. They begin to live a life that cannot be described by human ambition alone. They may still have ambition. I'll come to that later, talking about the journey of uh, growth. And yet they found something new. And therefore, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They pray and they worship together. And so I see the contrast between pride and godliness. The second pair of contrasts, you can find, I describe it as self-centered ambition. Giving allowance for godly ambition. But what is self-centered ambition? We want to make a name for ourselves. Stated in verse 4. We want, we, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Not only we want to reach the heavens, to prove that we can make it with our own means, without the help of heaven, but we want to make a name for ourselves. But compared to that, what you have in Acts chapter 2 is charity. Not about self-centered ambition, but sharing, especially those who are in need, even selling their possessions. If you see these two contrasts, I don't think you can have any picture, you know, that can be more contrasting than this. One is to make a name for himself or herself. One is to sell what I have, to give up what I have for you. The, set, the third set, now the outcome of 
this account, the Tower of Babel, you know, uh, Babel, you know that it is the scattering of people. They were scattered. Verse 8, So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. But if you, if you use that to read Acts chapter 2, you notice there is this significance unless you read the Bible as a whole and not just isolated book. This is why I call it the canonical way of reading the Bible. That means you do not read the Bible book by book as if it stands alone. You read it in the context of the whole scripture and you see this picture that when Peter was empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues, it's not just a display of miraculous sign. No. The tongues actually helped the people to understand the gospel and they were brought together. And so, instead of being scattered, they were brought together through the word of God. And they were brought together despite the fact that they spoke different languages. They were brought together. The third set, you see, if you look at uh, verse 7, what God did was God actually confused the languages, meaning that the language was multiplied. And so, there's this line, they will not understand each other. In fact, the people could not understand each other because of the different languages. And I call this alienation. That we are being alienated from one another because I do not understand what you're talking about. Sometimes, the failure to understand each other uh, could be due to a language system. Because you speak Hainanese language, I speak Hokkien, I cannot understand you. Correct? But I tell you, even husband and wife, sometimes I keep hearing the wife complain, the husband do not understand. They speak the same language, right? Yeah. I won't ask you to vote. How many of you, how many wives here think that husband you know, don't understand, despite the fact that we all speak English or Chinese? But Why? It tells you that even though we use the same language, it doesn't mean the other party can understand you. Something more subtle than simply language system. So there is a deep problem in the world now that how do you facilitate mutual understanding across racial divides? Or even within the Western world, everybody is using English. How do you promote understanding? And here you see a picture of alienation because there is this failure of understanding each other. In contrast, you find that in Acts chapter 2, when the people were brought together, not only they were physically brought together in proximity, there is this what we call communion, or the Greeks say koinonia, fellowship. So if we see this, you understand why I call Acts chapter 2, a reversal, a U-turn of the account, the Babel in Genesis 1. And by saying this to you, our journey, when you join a church, when you become a Christian, you want to join a community of faith, you want to go to this church or that church, brothers and sisters, I tell you, you are not only choosing a church for this or that reason, you are actually embarking on this journey of reversing what you witness in Babel, from pride to charity, from pride to godliness, from ambition to charity, from scattering to gathering, 
and from alienation to communion. I think this is a very important, we're going to talk about what's so, why is it so important to be filled by the Holy Spirit? Because this U-turn, this reversal is not possible with our own resource, with our own effort. It has to be done in and through the Holy Spirit. And because of that, as we have this big picture to look at, we know that the Pentecostal account, uh, the Pentecostal outpouring of the Holy Spirit, actually signifies the birth of the church, as most of us will know. Chapter 2 is very important because that is the account of the birth of the church, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so the church is a spiritual body. This is very important. Despite whatever material outlook it has, a church has a building, right? These are the material uh, nature of the church. The church has a building. The church must be registered under the government. The church must have money. The church has this. These are physical things. These are material things. But the outpouring of the Holy Spirit will tell you the one element that cannot be you know, done without is the presence of the Holy Spirit. But not only that, what is the church for? The church is actually a manifestation, a display of the reversal of Babel. So with that, when we join a church, when we join a community of faith, we are actually embarking on a journey. A journey of what? I will unpack this into three parts. A journey of faith, a journey of love. As we reverse the effects of Babel, from ambition, from pride, from sometimes irrational hurting, the church is called to display love. But what kind of love? Let's begin with Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Love is such a cliche nowadays. And we do a lot of things in the name of love. But let's focus on what the biblical account of love. Begin with Romans chapter 5, verse 5, which says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, this verse is chosen because, first of all, it reminds us, all right, when we believe Jesus Christ, God pours His Spirit into our hearts at that moment. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, God's love has been poured into our hearts too, through the Spirit. So we need to actually, when we say filled by the Spirit, they actually feel by the love of God. Which, the next passage, which I want to spend some time on it, uh, is taken from John chapter 17, which is a very unique, a privileged moment where we have a glimpse of the communication between the Son and the Father. In John, in the Gospel of John chapter 17, Jesus looked up and prayed to the Father. So if you think, take a look, um, and this is a very important passage as we reflect on the love of God that is poured into our hearts. Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. He prayed to the Father while the disciples listened. If you skip to verse 20, I'm going to read verse 20. Can I encourage all of us? This is the only passage I want to read together with you. Uh, John chapter 17, I will begin with 20 and you respond with 21, NIV version. The Gospel of John chapter 17 verse 1, My prayer is not for them alone, 
means that the 12 disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, meaning you and I. Verse 21. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. 23? Okay, let's stop here for a while. Now, many of us, when we come to this passage, we get a bit disoriented. In who is in who? All right? But in a nutshell, the son is in the father, the father is in the son, in, 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 in the son. That talk about the one God, the three in one, the Trinitarian God that we are worshipping. The son is in the father, the father in the son. But here in specifically, you also talk about the love of God towards the son. So this is what we call the Trinitarian love within God, that the father loves the son even before the world was created. And this is what we call the divine love that no human would experience. It's only experienced within God's hate. But here, Jesus said that, verse 24, okay? Let me read to you, verse 24. Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Continue. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. Maybe suddenly, here, suddenly realize that Jesus is not just talking about what happened between the Father and the Son. Jesus is telling us that we will have that love in our midst. And wow, we will have that love within us and within this community, the divine love. So here I highlighted, my prayer is not that for them alone, and so on and so forth, that all of them may be one. And this is the only basis that the church can be united because the Holy Spirit is with us. We are filled by the Spirit. And that's why when we are filled by the Spirit, we are filled by the love of the Divine Father, the Holy Father to God, uh, to the Son, and the Son to the Father. And we're united in this Divine love. And that is the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit pours God's love into our hearts, we are drawn into this spiritual love that no psychological factor, no psychological account can explain. You are drawn into this divine love. And that's why we need to pray. Prayer is not because we have something to intercede. Prayer is because we depend, we depend on God for His love, for us to live out that reversal of Babel. And all our items, as long as it is done in the name of Jesus Christ, is prayed with the effect, the reverse the Babel's effect, the charity, the love, the communion, and the sharing. And that is the significance of in the name of Jesus, so that our prayer is part of this reversal. So when we pray, we actually indicate to ourselves 
and to those who are praying with us that we are dependent on God to live a life that can actually reverse the effect of the Babel. And why? Because in prayer, we are reminded that we need the Holy Spirit. We need to indwell in the work of the Holy Spirit in order to understand the divine love that is with us. And I think for this, let's continue. That's why I come up with this statement. I said, this journey of love, it is a journey of experiencing love from God. And it is also a journey of loving God. It's both ways. And this love by God and loving God is done with the understanding of how the Father loves the Son and how the Son loves the Father. We love God not in the way we see best, but the way that Christ sees fit. And that's right, the Holy Spirit, you're so called the Spirit of Christ. When we feel by this Spirit, we cannot not love God in a way that Christ loves. And let's continue with uh, this statement. It is a journey of experiencing love from God and of loving God, not through our own effort, but the Holy Spirit. As the Father and the Son love each other. And so sometimes when we pray, we simply silence and feel the presence of the Lord. Because it's not about what we pray, but it's about the working of the Holy Spirit in us to draw us into that love between the Father and the Son with the help of the Holy Spirit. So with that, I want to bring the first uh, point of a reflection to a close and come to the second aspect of um, this journey of love. is not only we want to love God as uh, to drawn into this, but if you look at Galatians chapter 4, which I mentioned here, it is very significant why Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit actually pour out the spirit of the sonship or the daughtership. That means we pour out the spirit of God's children. Let me read you Galatians chapter 4. It says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, uh, a woman uh, born under the laws, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, or daughtership, because you are His sons. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. This is the important part. God sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts. When we say filled by the Holy Spirit, we feel by the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit who calls out Abba Father, so you are no longer a slave by God's child. That means the Spirit of prayer is always out of love and not fear or the Spirit of competition or pride or ambition. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. Not only with Christ, with one another. Meaning, we are the children of God. If indeed we share in His suffering in order that we may also share in His glory. Here talking about the co-sharing of the suffering of Christ as the church. As we continue to go through this, we are brought 
to understand that not only we need to learn to realize we have this spirit of Christ to draw us to God, but we also need to know that as the children of God with one another, we are drawn into loving, embracing one another as God's children. We love God not as an isolated island, but as a community. And here the verse come to my mind is Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. I'm uh, sorry, uh, Colossians chapter 3. Do not lie to each other. Shall we read together as a community before, and we can community as we bring this uh, first part to a close? One, two, three. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with these practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Churches, we want to pray to live out a life filled by the Spirit and embark on this journey. This is a journey we need to embark on as we feel by the Spirit of Christ drawn towards the heart of the Father and also bring us closer to the mind of Christ and as we live with one another. And this is the journey of love that the Bible is talking about and that can only happen when we are filled by the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid, I think this is a reality, I'm afraid that some of us are still struggling to embark this journey with our own resource, with our own flesh and blood to love Him with our own energy. And there'll be a lot of frustration when we want to love God with our own effort. I hope that these passages will relieve you from this illusion that we can love God with our own effort. So the first question we need to ask, do we have the Spirit? Are we filled by the Spirit to live out this life? The first answer is, you have. As long as you genuinely repent and accept Jesus Christ into your heart, God will pour the Spirit into your heart. But then the fact is, hello, this man is still the same like yesterday, he said the sinner's prayer, but this morning wake up still as loud as before, still as impatient as before, still like to scold me. I bring my boss to the church and next Monday he still scolded me, still as nasty as before. Hey, I bring my employee to the church, still as lazy as before. Hey, my husband accepted Christ, but still, you know, very fussy and criticize me and never show love. I brought my wife to church, but still this and that. What happened to this Holy Spirit that Pastor Lim just saying? Ah, that's right, we want to also remind ourselves. This is not an instantaneous change. The journey you embark on is also a journey of growth. The Bible never talks about a change as if you suddenly become a new person or God suddenly changed you as, as good as having a new name. You still have to grow and that's why it's very important to recognize a few passages that talk about growth. 
and also challenge ourselves that we need to embark on this journey of growth so that we can experience love, experience the work of the Holy Spirit in a very concrete way. The verse come to my mind is um, Ephesians chapter 3. Let's uh, take a look. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the, full, fullness, of, to, of the fullness of God. Here, Paul is praying, meaning that he's praying that this thing will happen. So when we say filled by the Holy Spirit, you, to your disappointment, the next moment you're still the same. But if you do not embark that little step to grow, the one that is disappointed is not you or your wife, but the Holy Spirit. Because here, Paul said, I pray out of His glory riches, He may strengthen you with power through what? Through the Spirit in your being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And here, Paul mentioned a specific journey is that we need to learn to grow in our understanding of God alongside each other. And so this is a step-by-step, -step, a baby step, that we begin to learn the breadth, the depth of God's love through our Bible study, through our reflection of our, our devotion, through praying together, through serving together, through living with one another. Through this concrete step, we begin to experience God in a very concrete manner. And it does not happen overnight. That's right. This is our earthly life is not an empty life. You are supposed to learn to go through this and not do nothing and wait for the return of Christ. There is something for us to do. That is to go through this process of learning to appreciate the love of God in a richer manner. So the giving of the Holy Spirit does not exempt us from learning and in fact does not exempt us from the experience of failure or frustration. But in the Chinese saying, I, I don't know whether you heard about this, it's called Fu Qi Xiang. How many of you know what this means? Pastor Peter, you know what this means? Fu Cai Xiang, huh? <laughs> Pastor Peter and Michelle has Fu Qi Xiang, huh? <laughs> what is Fu Qi Xiang in Mandarin or Fu Cai Xiang in Cantonese? It means a husband and wife, after they've been married for a while, they look alike. You know? But in what sense they look alike? Hello? If you look at Rongjian and me, we don't look alike. But many people say we look alike. Fu Qi Xiang. You know? I don't know, Pastor Isaac and Rebecca with the Fu Qi Xiang. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not long enough, okay? That's all said. After 30 years, yes. It should happen. Yeah. <laughs> now, what is Fu Qi Xiang? Or means when the husband and wife they look alike. Why? Not in a physical way, but it's our temperament, is you know, but why if it kind of account? Because we begin to accommodate one another. There's a bit of me that is from my wife. And I'm sure there's a bit of myself in my wife in terms of personality, in terms of our 
uh, our temperament. What about Holy Spirit and us? If we live long enough with the Holy Spirit, do we have a full chi xiang as well with the Holy Spirit? I think that is what we are saying. Have we lived long enough or have we lived close enough with the Holy Spirit in order to have a temperament, have our pichi, have our so-called, our passion, you know, to be molded by the Holy Spirit? It takes time. It takes, you know, number of years to have fuqixiang. It won't happen overnight. But as we wrestle with one another, unless the husband and wife they really totally don't engage with one another as two separate, you know, stranger, otherwise our lives intermingle. And there's this wisdom of Chinese saying that the the, the, the couple's life is so much intertwined that they look alike in that sense. Hey, last time you speak very fast and now a bit slower, huh? Yeah. After scolded by my wife so many times, of course I have to be slowed down, right? So while I change. Have we lived close enough with the Holy Spirit to really have our life, the impact of the Spirit in our life felt as if we are husband and wife? I think that it's what we say that we need to begin to understand there is so much more of your spouse that you need to actually discover just to all the married couple. The longer you married, I hope you realize there's so much more you still have not understand the other side. The depth, the breadth. But how much more for the Holy Spirit we can say? We continue to learn as we meditate and sometimes we only experience the work of the Holy Spirit if you take the first act and say that first prayer. And I think this is uh, what Paul is saying that we need to go through this. We need to really grasp not through hate knowledge, but through real life experience, the how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. When you go out to HTV to serve, when you listen to the struggle of a sister or brother, and when you see someone who has nothing and yet have given up so much to the Lord as you continue to understand, and the Holy Spirit will help you through that process to understand the breadth of the love of Christ through the other not through you withdrawing into a cave waiting for Gabriel to give you the special enlightenment or, or revelation, but in the thick of human affair. The Holy Spirit through you is also present in a whole human affair. I think that is what Paul say, that we need to really together with, with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how much and the depth of Christ's love the second passage come to my mind taken from, is taken from Colossians chapter 1. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. We continually ask God, do not stop. And that's why although we have received the Holy Spirit, we will continue to pray to be filled by the Holy Spirit. In that sense, to continue to gear us forward, to know God much better, to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. This is a very practical way of saying, describing a life filled by the Spirit. That we will go out and live a life worthy of the Lord and worthy of His plan to reverse the destructive effect of 
Babel on humankind. Finally, as we come to the third aspect of this journey, the journey of ministry, and we want to talk about charismata, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to grow in our faith, in our understanding of the love of God, in our way to love God, in our way to love others, but He also empowers us with certain talents and gifts, and we call that the spiritual gifts. In the plural sense, in Greek, it's called charismata. I define the spiritual gift in a very simple sense because I was told that if you want to know more, there is another session, a more technical, more detailed, um, even concerning uh, the position of QBC, concerning about certain gifts. But today, I give a very simple, uh, a very basic introduction. I define the spiritual gift as an ability of a disciple that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. A spiritual gift has to be first and foremost a basic, it has to be a talent and an ability. I cannot sing. But I claim that it's my, the Spirit has given me the spiritual gift because it's spiritual. Even though you think I cannot sing, but I still can sing, you cannot hear it, that's all. <laughs> okay, that is a kind of spiritual gift, too spiritual for me, all right? Yeah, I can sing. Except that you cannot hear, only the angel can hear, okay. But this is not what the Bible is talking about. I can preach, although the whole church thing I cannot preach, I still think I can preach, except that you don't understand, all right? Uh, this is not what the biblical account of spiritual gift. It is an uh, ability and it is a kind of talent that is recognized by the body of Christ. In fact, it is meant to build up the body of Christ. It's not for self-claim. It's not between you and angels, it's not between you and God, it's between you and the church. So I think here, if we continue, we talk about the types of uh, spiritual gifts. If you look at Romans chapter 12 and uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, you find that there are listing of these gifts. And in one of my, I think in my, one of my sermons, I preach about these uh, spiritual gifts. But here, I just want to highlight that if you look at these two texts, uh, there are two groups of spiritual gifts, one that can be cultivated and one cannot be cultivated. Although some Christian community think that the second group also can be cultivated. Now, those cannot be cultivated, uh, those can be cultivated such as the gifts of preaching, teaching, and serving. And those cannot be cultivated include uh, gifts such as healing, prophesying, and so on and so forth. A group of Christians believe that the gifts of prophesying and healing can be cultivated. Uh, but many years ago, when QBC, the leaders and the pastors come together, uh, we strongly believe that uh, there are still supernatural gifts. You know, uh, God still gives us that gifts, but those are not for cultivation. You either have it or you don't. And that is a position of QBC taken many years ago. But whether it is gifts that can be cultivated, like singing, preaching, teaching, serving, or gifts that cannot be cultivated, what Paul says here is very important. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in a, and then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. Be faithful to the gift that's given to you. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give 
generously. Uh, generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. It is a consensus that uh, among scholars that this is not an exhaustive list, meaning there are many other gifts. For example, if you have gifts of patience, all right, then you need to exercise your patience generously. So, but the principle here is whatever gifts you have, and every Christian, no matter who you are, no matter your background, God will give you something to be useful to His kingdom. And I think in this area, let's continue this uh, passage, okay, uh, taken from uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit that's given for the common good is very important. So when we say that a journey that filled by the Spirit is a journey of love, this love is not an abstract love. This love must be exercised through service and ministry. Although myself, I think that affection is important, feeling is important, but the love must be expressed in concrete action. The love must be accompanied and must be actualized through service and ministry. And that is why the Holy Spirit not only gives us a heart to love, but also gives us an ability to love. And here it says, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And then Paul continue the different kind of miraculous uh, um, uh, gifts. But verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. I think when Paul wrote this, if you compare Romans and Corinthians and other uh, epistles, you will notice what is going on or what was going on in the Corinthian church cannot be taken as a representative of the church at that time. Because other churches are not perplexed by the gifts of the Holy Spirit as much as the Corinthian church. So based on this, I, my understanding of the crisis of the Corinthian church at that time is they are really because of this craving for the spirituality, the craving for spiritual gifts, they're on the verge of reversing the reversing. You know what I mean by the reversing of the reversing? Well, the giving of the Holy Spirit is supposed to reverse, okay, what some may even call the curse of the Babel. They are reversing this reverse by going back to the problem of the Babel. The spirit of competition, the spirit of pride, and because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, ironically, people are alienated from one another. You have these gifts, I don't have. And all of us must speak the same, have the same gift before we can communicate. And in a very terrible way, a spirit of alienation replaces a spirit of communion because of the, work, because of the, Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a very dangerous ground all in the name of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the people are divided. There is a sense of competition and there's a sense of pride and a sense of alienation and the communion is on the verge of being broken. And that's why I call it the reversal of the reversal. You don't find in the church of Ephesus, you don't find in the church in the Colossae there, but you find it in Corinthian. 
So instead of taking the Corinthian church as a model, I think it's a warning that we do not turn the gifts of the Holy Spirit into something that is counterproductive in the kingdom of God. And so Paul has to go through this lengthy teaching to explain to them the gifts is not for you to be so different from others that you cannot communicate or connect, connect with others. It comes from the same spirit and you need to embrace one another instead of being divided. So I think we, are need, we need to be reminded a life filled with the Spirit, a life that is empowered by the Spirit is for the purpose of serving others and also witnessing Christ. And here, witnessing the possibility of reversal. No matter what the world is, we are living in a very divisive, a very a world full of competition, full of battle, full of tension, destruction and violence. But church is called to be filled by the Holy Spirit to live up otherwise. And no human effort, no amount of money, and I must say also no building can achieve that purpose except the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we need to be reminded once again, using this word from Corinthians chapter 12 again, that there are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit distributes them. Please be remembered. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, we are still living at the effects of Babel. We have different cultures, different languages, different mindsets, different civilizations. But here, through the multiplicity of gifts, God wants to show to the world it is possible to live with diversity. Now that is a very important message to the current world, that the church somehow it is united and yet diversified. If we fail to demonstrate this to the world, we fail to be the people of God. I want to tell you that. Each of you should have to use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I want to use this to bring my sharing to a close. And then, I have a few questions to ask as we look at the journey from, as a journey of love, the journey of growth, and the journey of uh, ministry. The first question, of course, before the question, let me do some conclusion, dispersing after Pentecost. This uh, conclusion also got to do my first question. Maybe I just mentioned my first question, I do the conclusion together. The first question is this, what are the differences between the gathering and scattering at Babel and those recorded in Acts 2 and Acts chapter 8? Now, very interesting, if you look at Acts chapter 8, what happened in chap ch Acts chapter 8? The disciples were scattered because of the persecution, remember that? At first, they were gathered together as one very united body. They were gathered together and they love each other and they become a very unique and very a, a community of unity. And yet, in chapter 8, if you read on, they were scattered because of the persecution. From a very united, cohesive community, they were broken into and they were dispersed into the... And if you compare the two stories, the two accounts in the Bible, what is the difference between the scattering of the disciple and the scattering of the people at Shinar? 
And of course, if we look at the account in the Bible, you know that they want to be together. Remember that? We don't want to be scattered. In fact, if you read that, they built a town and the Bible is said, because we don't want to be scattered. We don't, and the way they built their unity and the cohesiveness is to build an icon. But here, in the church, we still don't want to be divided. But how? So I think the first question, and also my conclusion is, if you look at the scattering post-Pentecost, we are sent out to the world. We are supposed to be scattered. But what kind of new spirit we can bring as we scattered and go into the world? But I'm afraid there are many churches nowadays because we forget we need the Holy Spirit. We are more united than scattered. We fail to be scattered. We become so cohesive. We become like a clan, you know. We become like a club. That we are more united than scattered. But here, if you look at the Bible, whether it's the Great Commission on Acts 8, God would want us to be scattered into the world, to be sent to the world. In fact, if you go to the Methodist church service, the, 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 the final is always ascending to the world. You are scattered to go to the world. And that is what the church is for, to be scattered to the world. But what is the difference between Babel and the Pentecost? As I leave it to you to reflect, I will go on to the question two. Uh, but of course, you can either share this in a cell group or later on because you only have 10 minutes. Huh? I think my time is up. Yes. I could quickly run through this. Now, we all know that we live in a meritocratic society permitted by the culture of individualism. In what way the knowledge of the Holy Spirit as the spirit of love, as described in Romans chapter 5, 5, is important to you and to the church? Finally, what are the most visible or frequently encountered spiritual gifts at QBC, I wonder, at this time? And which you think are the most needed gifts at QBC right now and why? So I hope I will leave you with these questions and, and also I hope my sharing with you about the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church's significance uh, from the biblical accounts helpful for your reflection as the purpose of the church and also the purpose of life and I hope you bring it back to your cell group and continue to share. And thank you and um, God bless.